Well, again, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. It's good to see y'all after two weeks of not getting to see y'all. Last time we were here was February 7th, so now February 28th. It's good to be with all of you and to worship with you today. So if you will with me, go ahead and bow your head and let's pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for our church. God, many times we take it for granted that we have the opportunity to gather together and worship you together. God, I, I pray that we will be present in this moment, uh, that even though we have uh, different things to attend to today, I pray that we'll set them aside right now and just focus on worshiping you, focus on your word, and really, really listen to what you're saying to us today, dear Lord God. You're constantly speaking to us, but we're not always listening. Dear Lord God, I pray that we would listen to you today. God, that we wouldn't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Dear God, please help us to keep our eyes on you. Not on the wind, not on the waves, not on the storm, but on Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, as we read your word, that we'll hear by your Holy Spirit what it is you have to say to us today. Please speak through me. Please guide us and please help us. And please help us to have a real sense of your great love for us today as we study your love. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to our scripture passage for today. Our scripture passage for today is Hosea chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, so basically all of chapter 3 we're reading today. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. So this is Hosea speaking. He says, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a litek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Well, this sermon was meant to be given on Valentine's Day, but of course it's not Valentine's Day. But, you know, of course, two weeks ago, we were celebrating Valentine's Day. Now, if you were single, you didn't really have any obligation to celebrate Valentine's Day if you didn't want to. But if you were dating, especially if you had a spouse, you did have an obligation to celebrate Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day, we go out of our way don't we, to communicate to our spouse that we love them. 
right? We go out of our way to tell them that and communicate that to them. Now, in the Bible, the Bible says that we are God's, what? We're his spouse. When you marry someone, you make a covenant with them that I'm with you for life. You know, I'm your spouse and you're my spouse. And the Bible, it says that God's people have made a covenant with him where God has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so the Bible says that we as God's people are the bride and God is the bridegroom. Now, on Valentine's Day, we show our spouse how we love them. How? By buying them gifts or taking them out for dinner or not this year because nobody could go out for dinner. So this year probably cooking them dinner or uh, spending time watching a movie together. I don't know. I'm single. So I'm, I'm kind of it's taking me a while to think about what all you do for Valentine's Day. But, you know, that's how you show your spouse that you love them. You, you show them a token of your love by doing something sacrificially for them, you know. And it's important. To show them. It, it's kind of an insult if your spouse doesn't take the time to show you a token of their love on Valentine's Day, but that's not really what's important right now. What's important right now is the fact that we ask, okay, does God, does he show us, if we're his bride, if we're his spouse, does God show us how he loves us? Yes, he does show us how he loves us. And he shows us in the Bible, but we, we show each other you know, in kind of weird ways. Here's some flowers. Here's some chocolates. God, in our passage today and in the book of Hosea, he shows his love for us in an even weirder way. Actually, in a very bizarre way. You know, we show our love by chocolates and flowers. God showed us that he loved us in the Bible, particularly in Hosea. How? By having the prophet Hosea marry a promiscuous and adulterous woman. What? How does that make any sense? Well, I know it's bizarre, but it's, you know, it's in the Bible. I'll read it to you. Hosea chapter one, verse two through three. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So why did God do this? Why did God have Hosea marry a woman who he knew was going to commit adultery on him and be unfaithful to him? Well, the answer is he had Hosea marry Gomer to show us, to show his people what his love for his people looks like. And our passage today shows us what God's love for us looks like. And so I'm going to tell you right right now how we can describe God's love and then we're going to go into it. So how can God's love, according to our passage, be described? Well, it's limitless, it's costly, and it's faithful. God's love, according to our passage, is limitless, costly, and faithful. So we're going to go through those one by one. So the first one, the first thing, the first way we can describe God's love here is 
limitless. And we see that in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. It says, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So we looked at chapter 1, where God said, Gomer will commit adultery on you. Now in chapter 3, it's clear that she has committed adultery on Hosea. So at this point, it's clear that she did what God said that she would do. She committed adultery on him. But God makes it clear through this passage that when his people sin against him, they are actually doing to him what Gomer did to Hosea. They're being unfaithful to him. They're committing adultery on him. What was the covenant that we made? You'll be my God. We'll be your people. And yet when we sin, we say, well, actually right now you won't be my God. I'm going to choose other gods. I'm going to leave you for someone else or for something else. But what I want you to notice here, the most important thing I want you to notice is God doesn't say to Hosea, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites until they turn to other gods. Did God say that? He doesn't say, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites until they turn to other gods. No, he said, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods. Though they turn to other gods. When we sin against God, it's difficult for us to imagine that he still loves us, right? I'm sure you can think back to a time that you've sinned. Maybe even it was a deliberate sin where you knew that what you're doing was unfaithful to him and you did it anyways. And of course, if you're a believer, after that happens, you feel just a wash of shame come over you and embarrassment. And at least for me, I'll think, oh, I've crossed the line one too many times. And now God can't love me anymore. God's done loving me. He did love me, but now he doesn't love me because I sinned against him one too many times. It's difficult for us to think that God still loves us even after we are unfaithful to him and commit adultery against him. Why? Because our love is limited. And when we think of God, we think his love is like our love. We think his love is as small as our love is. But this passage shows us that God's love is so much greater than our love is. Our love is limited. His love is limitless. It goes far and above our capacity to possibly love. And so when we're thinking of God's reaction to us, how he feels about us after we sin, we have to know, hey, he loves me more than I have the power to love anything. And his love for me is limitless. In John chapter 13, so in John chapter 13 through chapter 17, those four chapters are known as the farewell discourse. Why are they known as the farewell discourse? Because those chapters are Jesus' final remarks to his disciples before he went to the cross. So this is where the Last Supper happens. This is the night before Jesus is arrested and crucified. So Jesus is giving his last and final remarks. Uh, 
And it's interesting how John begins the farewell discourse, the very first verse, giving an account of what Jesus said to his disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He didn't say he loved them until he betrayed them. He loved them until they left him. He loved them until they denied him. No, he loved them to the end. To the end, because his love is not limited by our sins. It's limitless. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, a book I read recently, I really highly recommend it. It's such a good book. But Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, talked about this verse. And he said, we know, because of what John 13, 1 says, which the final few chapters of all four gospel accounts narrate, Jesus came to the cliff of the cross and didn't change his mind. He walked over the edge. And John's point in 13.1 is that in going to the cross, Jesus did not retain something for himself the way we tend to do when we seek to love others sacrificially. He does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Jesus loves to the end, which shows us what about God's love? He loves us to the end. His love is limitless. So so what do we do if we find ourselves in the same situation that Gomer found herself in when she committed adultery on Hosea? When we say, ah, I've committed adultery. He can never love me ever again. Well, the Bible gives us what I think is one of the most powerful and helpful verses for when we're in that situation, when we've sinned and we feel like we've created a barrier which God cannot cross, when we say, I can't be in God's presence anymore because of my sin. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 John 3, 19 through 20. It says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Did you hear that? If we want to be at rest in his presence, every, right now after we've sinned, we say, oh, I can't go into his presence. He might find out what I did. And if he does know what I did, then he'll hate me. He won't love me anymore. But no, John says, This is how we know we belong to the truth. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Just as he knew the Israelites were unfaithful to him, and yet, just as Hosea went to Gomer, he goes to the Israelites over and over and over. In other words, he goes to his people over and over and over because his love is not limited by their sins. No, his love is limitless because his heart for us is limitless. 
He is greater than our hearts. And you have to see, I'm not saying that your sin is something to ignore. You have to see that your sin is great. It's big. It's something that had to be dealt with on the cross. It's something that needs to be repented of. It's something that's poison. It's something that will kill you. What did Jesus say? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not saying ignore your sin. Paul talks about having a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow, but a godly sorrow that says, God, I'm sad that I committed the adultery against you. It breaks my heart that I broke your heart. But what the enemy wants us to do is say, I sinned against God so I can never be with him again. No, we have to see, you have to see that your sin is great, but you also have to see that God's love for you is greater, is greater. And only when you see that his love for you is greater than your sin against him, can you finally set your heart at rest and go back into his presence, knowing that he has grace, mercy, and forgiveness for you because his love is limitless. But also, how else can we describe his love? His love is costly. His love is costly. Look at verse 2. So this is Hosea talking. He says, So I bought her, I bought Gomer, for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. You know, a homer and a lethek is about 430 pounds. So 15 shekels of silver, 430 pounds of barley. So this is weird. Why did, I mean, they're married. Why did Hosea have to buy back Gomer? Well, a lot of interpreters believe that maybe after she had left Hosea, she had fallen into slavery. She's become a slave. Or maybe she's become a cult prostitute. But some interpreters say, well, that, that can't be right. Because it would cost about 30 shekels of silver to buy an Israelite slave. And it would cost about 30 shekels of silver to buy a cult prostitute. But when we do the math, Hosea only paid 15 shekels of silver and 430 pounds of barley. So he didn't pay 30 shekels of silver. So maybe she wasn't a slave. Maybe she wasn't a prostitute. But think about this. 30 shekels of silver was not considered a whole lot in those days. So some people say, what? if she was a slave or a prostitute, why wouldn't he just pay 30 shekels of silver for her? Now, for you, $45 may not be a lot of money, but if you only have $30 of money, then $45 is a lot of money. Now, if Hosea gives 15 shekels of silver and 430 pounds of barley, what does that lead us to believe? Well, it leads us to believe that that was all he had. That's all he had. It's almost like, I've got 15 chunks of silver, and let me see what I can scrounge together. Well, here's all the barley that I have. The 15 shekels, that'll pay for half of it. Well, the 430 pounds of barley, will that pay for the second half? If Hosea is giving this, it means that he's not saying, oh, okay, gosh, I, I gotta buy Gomer back. Here's a measly 30 shekels of silver. No, he gave everything that he had 
to get Gomer back, which means what? It means that his love for her was costly. It cost him everything that he had, and this would have been stunning to her. This would have blown her mind. Why? Because the price you are willing to pay for something shows how much you love it. The price you're willing to pay for something shows how much you love it. I'm 30 years old. Most people my age or younger, or most people in the world these days, love Apple products. I'm not talking about fruit. I'm talking about the technology. Apple. I love Apple. If I had all the money in the world, I would have all the Apple products in the world. You know, whenever I go to the Apple store and see all the iPads and the iPhones and the Apple Watches, I get hypnotized. Oh my gosh. I turn into Gollum. I go up to all of the products and hold them and say, oh my precious, look how sleek and beautiful it is. Look how uh, much power and memory, look how clear it is. You know, and I just could spend all day at the Apple store. Now, let's say I went to the Apple store and I picked up the newest iPhone, the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And I picked it up and I fell in love with it. I said, oh, I have to have this. I need this new iPhone. I would love it for a moment until something happened. What would that thing be that would cause me to realize how much I don't love it? What would happen is I would look up and I would see the price tag. And I would see that it cost $1,099. And then I would say, oh, I, I don't love it that much. I don't love it that much. It's not worth it to me not worth it to me. Have any of you ever seen the movie Ocean's Eleven? Ocean's Eleven, it came out a while ago, 2001. I recently saw it, um, thanks to Netflix or whatever the heck it was on, then I saw it. And uh, in Ocean's Eleven, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's basically about a guy who's a convicted uh, thief who's released from prison. His name is Danny Ocean. I'm going to try to give you a quick little recap uh, of the movie before I get into the part that I want us to focus on. So he gets out of prison. He recruits 11 other people to help him to rob a vault of three casinos. Now, of course, he wants the money, but he has a secret ulterior motive to robbing this vault. And the real reason he wants to rob this vault is because of the owner of the casinos. The owner of the casino is a guy named Terry Benedict. And what his crew doesn't know is that the owner of the casino, Terry Benedict, is dating... Tess Ocean, Danny Ocean's ex-wife. So part of robbing this vault is an attempt to get his ex-wife back. And we think, okay, how is robbing a vault going to get his ex-wife back? Well, of course, when he comes to that casino, Terry Benedict, knowing who this guy is, is suspicious of Danny Ocean. And when his crew finally pulls off the heist, when they do the impossible and rob that vault, what happens? Terry Benedict approaches and confronts Danny Ocean. But what he doesn't realize is that Danny has set up a camera so that Tess, his ex-wife, can see the conversation that he's having with Terry, her current boyfriend. And Terry says to Danny Ocean, he says, I'm going to give you one chance. Where is my money? And Danny says, 
What if I could, what if I told you I could get you your money back if you gave up Tess? What would you say? And Terry says, I would say yes. And the camera pans over to Tess's face watching this on video and hearing this. And it's immediately a realization. And we realize what she realizes. What? What did she realize? That he doesn't love her like he said he loves her, which is what Danny was trying to prove to her the whole time, that his love for you is not real because it's not costly. When, when he was faced with a choice between his money and Tess, he said, she's not worth it. She's not worth it. And I'm willing to give her up for the money. He was willing to give her up. But even though he was willing to give her up for a cost, the reason I tell you that is because I want you to see and realize that there's no price for which God is willing to give you up. God absolutely refuses to give you up even though you leave him to go to other gods. In Hosea chapter 11, so near the ending of the book of Hosea, this is, to me, one of the most stunning chapters and verses about God's love for his people that we have in the Bible. In Hosea 11, verse 1 through 4, and then in verse 8, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, so other gods, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim, Ephraim is another word for Israel, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. And then in verse 8, he says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I give you up? That's what God asked about you. How could I ever, ever, ever give you up? Ask yourself this question. Is there something in my life that I would never give up? Is there something or someone in my life to where if I lost it, I would stop at nothing to get it back? Can you think of anything like that? If we were to ask God that same question, do you know what he would say? Yes, there is something. You. You. You are the thing that I would stop at nothing to get back if you were lost. You are the thing, the one thing that is worth whatever cost I have to pay for you. Why? Because you are worth more to him than anything else. Because his love is costly, you can know that he loves you more than anything else and he's willing to pay whatever it takes to bring you back home when, like Gomer, you are lost. So, God's love is limitless. God's love is costly. God's love is also 
faithful. God's love is faithful. Look with me in verse 3. So, Hosea is talking to Gomer, almost said Homer. He says, Then I told her, You are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. So, now that Hosea has redeemed Gomer, he is calling her to be faithful to him. Gomer, I... I bought you back, so don't leave me again. Stay with me many days. Be faithful to me. But notice what he promised her. Do you notice what he promised her? He promised to be faithful to her. In other words, he didn't say, you be be faithful to me. No, he said, be faithful to me as I am faithful to you. Be faithful to me as I am faithful to you. You see that Gomer's faithfulness was not a precondition for Hosea's faithfulness. No, Gomer's faithfulness was meant to be inspired by Hosea's faithfulness. Now, if it was all dependent on Gomer's faithfulness, then Hosea wouldn't even be there in the first place. But it's the same with us and God. So often we think, God won't be faithful to me because I haven't been faithful to him. But no, God's faithfulness is not dependent on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness is dependent on knowing his faithfulness. And if his faithfulness was dependent on your faithfulness, then he wouldn't be very faithful because you aren't very faithful. But the fact that he is faithful to you over and over and over again proves that no matter what you do, no matter how unfaithful you are, he is faithful. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Christ loved you before all worlds, long before the day star flung his ray across the darkness, before the wings of angels had flapped the unnavigated sky, before all of creation had struggled from the womb of nothingness. God, even our God, had set his heart upon all his children. Since that time, has he once swerved? Has he once turned aside? Once changed? No. You who have tasted of his love and know his grace will bear me witness that he has been a certain friend in uncertain circumstances. You have often left him. Has he ever left you? You have had many trials and troubles. Has he ever deserted you? Has he ever turned away his heart and shut up his bowels of compassion? No. Children of God, it is your solemn duty to say no and bear witness to his faithfulness. The only way we will ever begin to be faithful to God is to realize and remember his faithfulness to us. If I just say, be faithful to God, that won't work. Never has worked, never will work. Why? Because it, it affects our head. We say, okay, but it doesn't affect our hearts, does it? What does affect our hearts? Not when we think about how faithful we should be to him, but when we think about how faithful he has been to us. Every time I preach a sermon, 
I want to give you something practical, something that you can take home and do yourself. And what I want to share with you for this point is a prayer that I've been praying uh, for a little while. And this prayer has been life-changing to me. Ever since I've started praying this prayer, it has helped me so much in my obedience to God and in my awareness to God. Whenever I feel you know, the pull on my heart to commit adultery on God, to be unfaithful to God, to sin against God, and not just in those moments, but every other moment when I wake up, I'm praying this prayer all throughout the day. So this is a prayer I want to share with you. And if you want, you can start praying. But I pray this prayer, Lord, please help me to be faithful to you as you have been faithful to me. Why don't I just pray, Lord, please help me to be faithful to you? Because then my heart won't be moved by his faithfulness. No, whenever I'm lost in my worries of the day or I'm hypnotized or enchanted by the lies of the enemy and his temptations, what breaks that spell? Remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering that he went to the cross for me. Remembering that he thinks about me. Remembering that he loves me. Remembering that he's never let me down. He's never failed me. And when I remember that, it wakes me up. It shakes me awake. It moves me from I have to be faithful to God to I want to be faithful to God. The only way you will ever be faithful to God is if your mind is stayed on how faithful he is, how faithful he will be, and how faithful he always has been to you. God is calling you to be faithful to him today. Why? Because he is faithful to you. And only by remembering that will your heart be moved away from adultery and towards faithfulness. But we still have two more verses. We've seen how we can describe God's love. You know, it's limitless. It's costly. It's faithful. But we've been looking at Hosea and Gomer's marriage and how it reflects God's love. But in verses 4 through 5, we're told what this image means. In verses 4 through 5, it says, For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Now, what is this talking about? Now, verse 4, it's essentially saying that the Israelites will go into exile. Like Gomer went into exile, into slavery or prostitution or whatever she was in, the Israelites, because they've left the Lord, they're going to go into exile. But, verse 5 says, one day they will return and seek the Lord, just as Gomer has returned and now seeks Hosea. And the question is, what's going to make the difference? What's going to change? What's going to cause them to seek after the Lord and return to the Lord? Why would they do that? Because the Lord is going to return and seek after them. 
You see, just as Hosea seeking Gomer is the reason she sought him, God seeking us and coming to us is the reason that we can and the reason that we do seek after him. And so the question is, when did that happen? Has it happened? Did God ever come to earth and seek after us? Yes, he did. In Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1 through 7, Jesus tells a parable. One of my favorite parables that Jesus tells. I'm sure you all know it, the parable of the lost sheep. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, what's happening in this parable? What's happening in this passage? When the Pharisees and the tax collectors who trust in their own righteousness believe that they're good even though they're not, they see Jesus speaking And they see the worst of the worst, supposedly, listening to him. They see the sinful people and the tax collectors, the people known as the most sinful people in the entire community. Why is Jesus talking to them? Why is Jesus talking to them? What what the Pharisees and what the teachers of the law do not realize when they see Jesus coming to these sinners and tax collectors is that what they were looking at is Hosea coming to Gomer. Do you realize that? These people who are the most lost of the lost were now being found. They were that one sheep that was lost and their shepherd had come for them. When Jesus came to the sinners and the tax collectors, he was doing on a much larger scale what Hosea had done For Gomer, he was coming to redeem and save those who belong to him. Which means what? Hosea is a shadow and a pointer to who? To Jesus. Jesus is the true and the greater Hosea. Because although we are Gomer and we are lost, we have a Hosea who will come and pay the cost whatever it costs, even if it's his very life, to bring us back home. Now, one of the most powerful hymns I've ever heard is called They Were Ninety and Nine by Cecilia, or Elizabeth Cecilia Clefane. And she wrote this hymn in 1868. And I'm going to read the entire hymn to you. And of course, you know, as you can tell from the, the title of the hymn, this is inspired by that uh, parable that we just read. So here's the hymn. It says, There were ninety and nine, 
that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. But all through the mountain, thunder ribbon, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. The only way for God to bring you home was to go to your cross. Do you realize that? It's the only way. It was the only way for him to bring you home was to give up his son, Jesus. That's how much it cost. And he said, you are worth it. When you see and believe in how he sought you on the cross, then and only then can you do what verse 5 says that God's people will do. You can come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings. Which means what? What does this mean for us? It means today and every day, go to him. Go to him today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Why? Because he sought you when you were lost. And when you turn to him and give yourself to him, you can know without a doubt that he is saying, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Why does he say that? Because he loves that lost sheep. In other words, he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we don't understand why you love us like that. It feels overwhelming. How could you love us that you'd be willing to go to the cross for us? How could your love be so limitless? How could your love be so faithful? How could your love be so costly? And yet, we know because of Jesus that it is. 
God, we can trust in that. And God, when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts. And your love for us is greater than our sins. And our sins were put to death on the cross. And our sins didn't rise from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, just as Gomer could go and live with Hosea, we can go and live with you because of your great love for us. God, on Valentine's Day, we give each other tokens of our love. But God, in Jesus, you gave us the greatest token of your love, your very life, your very blood, your very bread. We love you, Lord, because you loved us first. Please help us be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.